start the tape. Okay. I'm in a really good mood. Oh, I'm in such a good mood, everybody. Such a good mood. Do 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 do. Okay. Uh, we had a good passage this morning. We had a passage about life. So I will read that before I actually get started. But you can keep the tape rolling because I have started. Psalm 36, 8. Can you believe I forgot my Bible? What does that mean when a pastor forgets his Bible? So anyway, I had to look it up. Online, 30, Psalm 36, 8. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Oh, such a good word. We had a feeling of life, life, life. Al-Hayam, entering the church this morning in pre-service prayer. So much fun, I love it. When I was growing up, our family, we were a dreaming, we are. We are and we were, and we will be a dreaming family. And uh, we love to dream, and there was always something to dream about. And it's not because we hated our circumstances. We were in, you know, we were okay. We weren't in any kind of suffering. Um, Sometimes we dream to escape. This wasn't to escape as much as it was just to enjoy, and we loved it, and my parents encouraged it. One time, we went to British Columbia. My mother's family lives in British Columbia, and so we would go there every so often. But one time, we went there. I think we visited them, but the trip wasn't to visit them, at least that wasn't my memory of it. The trip was to dream. We were driving around British Columbia in the valley, we went to the islands, and they're smiling back there, they're thinking about it. It makes you happy to dream, and it makes you even happy to remember dreaming, not even that the dreams came true, because they didn't. But it's still a fun story, because we went to British Columbia looking for a property. We were driving around looking for a place to set up something. I don't even really, I was trying to remember what we were even dreaming to do. And I have some ideas, but I don't actually know what we were dreaming to do. I think it was setting up a resort, maybe a tea house, counseling center. I don't know. There were so many dreams. But we were looking for that perfect spot, and I knew that I would not live in Winnipeg. Yet here I am. Anyway, so back then, though, I was set, I was determined in order to live in British Columbia, where my family lived, and where it never rains. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, it never rained when we went, because my mother has a special blessing that whenever she visits BC, it doesn't rain. So my memories as a child of British Columbia was sun. And I lived there later and realized that it does rain, and I'm happy to have that behind me. But when I was dreaming, it was a sunny place all the time. And we went to beautiful, we went to waterfalls, we went to lakes, we visited all the beautiful spots where you could put a resort, even though we had, I was still, I guess, in probably junior high, and uh, dreamt about what would happen if we were there, and it was wonderful. And as I got older, and I guess probably now that I'm thinking about it, had more influence, because back when you're, when a child dreams, it's not so threatening, right? When a child dreams, it's like, oh, isn't that sweet? When I dream now, people get distressed. Uh, I started to dream as I got older, and I realized all of this distress around me. And I wondered, why would something so beautiful make people so mad at me? And, and that was a painful thing until I kind of began to understand that when you dream, 
it creates the possibility and people who are more who don't understand that you're dreaming uh, get distressed because they start to plan and it's like I'm I don't need a plan I'm just dreaming it's just me enjoying enjoying the dream but they would try to plan and they would become distressed as they lived in the future that was uncertain and that they could not reconcile they could not figure out how it would work and I would look at them and I would be like what's going on did you know that I still do this it's so a part of my DNA to dream that I can't stop I asked my office manager about this and I said do I do I dream like and she said oh you dream and then she worded it I think she had worded it like you go off I think that was her word you go off that was the word that she had for this it became quite unpleasant for me for a few moments there she described her secret thoughts of me and so it's like oh Cyrus you go off and I have learned she said this to me I have learned to ignore you <laughs> I have learned this is what she's learned from our time together to ignore me so be wise you need to learn about me and you need to learn to ignore me I guess I don't know but she would learn to ignore me and she said this she said unless you say something twice it's only when you say something twice that I even begin so she knows enough to remember what I've said so that she can recognize when it happens twice but she basically ignores me until it's twice and even then she's skeptical but she knows maybe something will happen maybe maybe something will happen if I hear about it twice she knew more about me than I did it's kind of interesting ask somebody around you about yourself and you might learn something I still dream and I still enjoy it and when I think back and I think about her trying to plan all the things that I've dreamed I'm glad she ignores me because oh her life if she tried to plan everything that I that I said to her I would come in in the morning and be like oh what if we did this oh this is what she did I didn't plan to say this but she said what did she say to me the other day I got kind of annoyed she said she said but Cyrus, I have something important to talk about. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, this was important. I was dreaming. And, and then I thought about it. And I was like, oh, she's, she let it slip. She was trying to be polite, but she let it slip. You know, she, she knew. She's like, Cyrus, you're going off. But I have something important to talk about, something that's relevant for to actually today. I got over it. Uh, you have to learn to be a dreamer and you have to learn to manage the distress of other people and this happens in couples I see this in relationships what happens when a dreamer marries a planner oh oh people are looking at each other what happens when you when you have a dreamer that meets a planner what happens distress anxiety Oof. It's a difficult thing. It's worthy of seeing a psychologist. This is what happens. People will come to me and they'll be like, oh, he goes off on me. She goes off on me. She's always, is to actually just help them to label it. Labeling things is wonderful sometimes. But anyway, so you label it and it's like, I'm just, I'm dreaming. Okay, like, so they'll talk to each other in the beginning of the conversation as the anxiety starts to rise. Are we dreaming or are we planning? And therapy becomes about identifying this and what does it look like and how do we talk about it so that we can continue to dream? Because what happens when you step on a dreamer? Distress. It just happens and you can't stop it. And what happens when you try to stop a planner? It's really hard. So you just label it. That's helpful. Okay, that was for free. Lord help us Lord help us to dream oh Lord help us to dream and help us to plan 
and help us to know when to dream and when to plan as we go into 2020. Fill our minds, fill our hearts with your dreams and with your plans in the name of Jesus for the church and also for each life here. That is today. We are going to plan and we are going to dream. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there's sometimes in the Bible, now the Bible says two things about a lot of things, right? So you can get kind of people who are talking about the contradiction in the Bible, but that's usually only when you think about it superficially. If you just read scriptures one after the other, you could be like, see, the Bible's contradicting itself, and you get upset, and I would encourage you to think about reading the Bible a little bit like a hard candy. You don't just gobble it down to dissolve. Because if you just approach it quickly, all of a sudden you get all these contradictions. But they're not contradictions. It's just deep. When you see a contradiction, think depth. Oh, when there's a contradiction, that means that there's something weighty deeper here. So let's look at the contradiction around plans. Okay, plans, a scripture that's anti-plan. I like the anti-plan scriptures because they're the more charismatic scriptures and those are the ones that I'm, I don't know, have seeped into me a little bit more. So let's go. You could probably recognize these. The pro-plan ones you might recognize, but they're not preached as much, at least not in the churches that I've been to. Normally we hear the anti-plan. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, you don't even know where you're going. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. What's the point? Don't even try to plan. Is the Lord going to do it? Lord's going to do it anyway. You're just going to be disappointed. See, planners, we shouldn't be planning. Mm. This has really affected me. <sighs> it's hard. How many people here, oh, I'm actually going to get you to raise your hands, so feel, get ready, write these scriptures, man, it's like, oh, I want to plan, I want to plan, I want to plan, I planned something, now what's going to happen, now it's going to be ruined, as I planned it, I got too specific, I planned too much, and then you try to get around it in your head, maybe if I'm not detailed in my plans, what if I don't think about the details, what if I only plan a day, not a month, not a year, what if I plan not five years, that's too far, God won't like that, but can't I plan today, can't I plan what I'm going to eat for lunch, admit it, you've thought things like this, you've thought it, it sounds silly, but you're laughing because it's true, it's so true, we're just like, I'm the spirit, I'm the spirit, I'm the spirit, I'm the spirit, but I want to make a lunch, what am I going to have, that's a plan, Oh, you know, it's like you have to not plan, right? And it's hard. It's hard because we have to plan, don't we? Aren't you supposed to? Well, let's look at some research. So in Great Britain, great, great, great research comes out of Great Britain. 248 people were trying to exercise. How many? No, I won't ask that. How many people want to exercise this year? Uh, I'll just raise my hand. I'll, I want to exercise. I was going to play the piano. I'm in such a good mood, I was even going to play the piano today. Because I've been learning to play the piano, right? Who knew? How old am I? I'm not going to tell you. But old enough that it's unlikely. <sighs> anyway, so New Year's is a time for new steps, including exercise. And that's what they did with these people. They tried to get them to exercise. Dangerous thing. First group was a control group. Basically told, just tell us when you exercised. Okay? Just tell us. That's group number one. Randomly selected. Exercise and how good it is to exercise with pictures of 
diseased hearts and things like this. And so they actually had them read health information about how you're going to die if you don't exercise and how you will live if you do exercise. And that was called the motivation group because these people were like, oh my goodness, I have to exercise. At least that was the theory. They, they had motivation. They weren't just left to their own devices. Then they had a third group. And these people had the same motivation. They had to look at the hearts. And they also had to plan. They couldn't be just motivated. They had to make a plan. Time and date and place. Those were the three requirements. Time, date, place. Time, date, place. Time, date, place. They had to make a plan. And then all the groups left to their own devices. The first group came back, and 35% of them had exercised once a week. 35%. One third. It's actually pretty good, I think. But 35%. If you make them watch diseased hearts and read about health benefits, it goes up 3%. Is it worth it? Maybe. For those 3%, it probably is. 3%, 38%. Now, you could get excited about 3%, but wait till you hear what happened to the people who made a time, a date, and a place. 91%. That was appropriate response. Thank you very much. Whoa, 91%. 91% were exercising at least once a week. Simply by writing down a plan. By writing down a plan. Now, you could say it's so surprising to see how many people were exercising when they made a plan. But they were arguing this, and I agree with this. Isn't it surprising how much it didn't work to read health information? Like how little that did, 3%, maybe just random difference. Like I don't even know if that 3%, if they did the research again, it might have been like 38% were the people who were just the control group and 35 were the people who did the random or the reading of the motivation. Like it might not have even been a real difference. It might have just been like in a statistical anomaly. Hmm. And isn't that what we often do? We just kind of like pummel ourselves mentally into like motivation. Anyway, motivation, or at least that definition of motivation, had no significant effects on exercise behavior. That's a quote. None, statistically. They labeled it implementation, making a plan, if you actually did the time, the date, and the place. Okay, so now you know what to do. So if it's that powerful that it can turn one-third into 90%, why would God outlaw it? Why would God outlaw it? Why would he say, don't plan? Did he really say that, to not plan? Well, I think he did and he didn't. Why would he say not to plan? Because it's so powerful. Oh my goodness, it's so powerful. Don't make plans. Don't make plans. It's actually going to change your behavior. Don't do it without him. Don't do it without him. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, God plans. God plans. God doesn't just plan generally, like things are going to work out. He plans specifically. He plans so specifically that he writes books about his plans. Detailed books, like fairly detailed. And I think they would be longer. Like, there's lots of things. I don't think he'd just plan and letting like, the rest go to chance. I think he plans very detailed. 
plans about what is going to be happening in the future. And he writes them down and he gives them to us. We call it the prophetic. That is the plan. That's the plan. It's written down. It has a time. It has a date. It has a place. He doesn't tell us some of it, but he has it in his heart. I think he does. Well, no, Jesus said he did. Had it, the Father knows. He doesn't even tell the Son. But he, the Father knows. The Father knows the time, the date, and the place. There is a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, he doesn't tell us all the details, but he t- gives us a general sense. He announces them ahead of times. He even says he announces them. He gives what his plans are to the prophetic people before he does it. And he tells us to plan. Oh, he was such an interesting evangelist. You could almost argue that he was trying to get people to not follow him. Like, there's lots of examples of him trying to get people to not follow him. Don't come to church. Be careful. Be careful if you follow me. I should be preaching like that, shouldn't I? Don't come to church. Don't just come. Luke 14, 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? He's telling this to people who are following him whether he has enough to complete it. He's saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Do you know what this is going to cost you? Don't just follow me. Don't just follow me. Follow me. Think about it. Don't do it blindly. Really think about it. What do they call it? Rice Christians? I don't know if that's a real thing, but I remember hearing it when we were in mission training. People who came just because they were fed, like fed food right? Don't come because we have Starbucks coffee. Come because you counted the cost. This is a real thing. This is real. I want this to be a real group. I want you to really follow me. I don't want this just to be groupthink. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Some people read this, the initial reading of it is, if I make a plan, God will make it good. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. You could argue that it's more like, if you commit yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly, you're going to become a different kind of planner. You will become a different kind of planner. If you depend on the Lord, if you, and not just like, we always make, we always make scriptures about a moment, right? Like, oh, I've decided to plan. I'm sorry, sorry. I've decided to follow the Lord, so now, boom, it starts. All the stuff starts. doesn't just plant the seed and, ooh, it's a flower. No, he creates the flower, but he does it over time. Commit your work to the Lord. Commit it over time. Commit yourself to God, and your plans will become good plans. You will be established. Now, I'm not denying there's miraculous components to this. I don't want to say that at all. Some people would say, oh, this is a natural process. If you commit yourself to him, there's a natural process of becoming wise as you read the Bible. Yes, and there's a miraculous component. As you commit yourself to God, he will make you a better planner. You will have better plans. If you commit yourself to your children, will you make good plans? You might be attentive. That's a good start. But will your plans for them be good? if they're just based on them? Like, if you are really wanting what's good for your children, should you only look to your children? I'm going to commit myself to my relationship. If you commit yourself 100% to relationships, romantic relationships, will you make good plans about romantic relationships? I don't think so. 
Will you make good goals for your children if you aren't focused on God? You're going to give them a bunch of bad goals, maybe goals that they came up with. I want another cookie goals. If you commit yourself 100% to relationships, my life is about relationships, what kind of relationship are you going to end up in? You'll have a relationship, probably. It was your goal. But what if it's not the relationship he had for you? What if it was based on bad ideas of what a relationship should look like? You're going to be tortured. Well, he has grace. He has grace. He has grace. You can start making good plans anytime. He will, but you have to commit yourself to him, and he will help you make good plans, and he will miraculously establish those plans. Both ways. It's about relationship. Do you think that the people who look like they're the wind and you don't know where they're going, do they not know where they're going? I don't, I don't think that's... It's not saying the people blown around by the wind don't know where they're going. It's saying you don't know where they're going. It's saying you don't... I'll read it. I hope I'm right. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born with the Spirit. You will not have 100% wisdom on where you will end up and where you will go. And as you watch them, they will be beating to a different drummer. But that doesn't mean that they can't make plans as they go and do those things. It's just going to look different. They're not committing themselves to their children. They're not committing themselves to their relationships. They're not committing themselves to their job or to a political party. They are committing themselves to something else so that when you see them, it won't make sense because they're not liberal. They're not conservative. They're not marriage crazy. They're not children crazy. They are Lord crazy. And for people outside of that, they're like, I don't know what they're doing. They are according to the Spirit. A different drummer. But that doesn't mean they don't hear the drum. Whew, okay. The Lord, the, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The, the heart of a man plans his way. Your plans belong to you. When you make a plan, you're responsible for them. You're going to stand before the Lord and you will have to answer for your plans. The heart of a man plans his ways. But the Lord establishes his steps. There is this interesting relationship between God has a result for you and you have to make choices and make it happen. Now, if you go one way, there's this age-old debate, and I'm actually going to step my foot into it. Hopefully, I don't might step my foot into it. So, when you plan, there's this age-old debate of, is it free will or is it determined? I would encourage you to step out of either of those camps. If you go, it is determined, you will walk off into something strange. If you go, it is completely free will, you will walk off into something strange. The Father gives us both. And they don't make sense together. If you try to get a human brain to understand determinism, its fate, and free will, and put them together, it will explode. It will explode. They will, so don't do it. But how do you have both? How do you have both in your life? 
There's really no way to actually describe that. So I'm going to tell you a story instead. Acts 27. This is a story of Paul who had to walk in both. Acts 27, verse 23. He's in a ship. All the best stories happen in ships. And there's a storm. Perfect analogy for everybody's life at one point. He's in a ship, and there's a storm coming. Or it's there. In Acts 27, verse 23, he has an angelic visitation. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So he has them. He has, and he's telling everybody. So take heart, men. So what's the point? It's encouraging. Take heart. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you Okay, there's the determinism. It will happen. It will happen. It has been granted to me in the most obvious sense. An angel visitation. I have direct. This is not symbolic. Like, this is not something I have to figure out. This is like, from the word, given to me, determined. Okay? But if you walk in that, you will go astray. Because he says right after that, but we must run aground on some island. Wait a minute. Why are you putting something there? Why are you saying that? The angel said it's going to be okay. But we must run aground on some island. Skip a bit. Verse 29. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for, God, prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. First we have, you will be saved. Then we have, you will be lost. You will be saved, you will be lost. You will survive. You have to stand before Caesar. And I have given you these men. And then Paul says, but you have to stay on the ship. We have to run aground. And he says, if you get off the ship, you will be lost. But didn't the angel say, didn't the angel say, you have direct revelation that he gave you these people. So we have to live in both. It's a conundrum. It's heavenly wisdom. And it's perfect for us because if you try to live without a destiny, if you try to live without God having something in the end that's going to happen for you, Lord help you. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. And if you live where you can do whatever you want and you get to an outcome, Lord help you. You're not going to have any motivation. You're not going to have any motivation. I, uh, we went to India for missions and they believe in reincarnation. And they believe that if you do good, good things will happen to you. And if you do bad, bad things will happen to you. It was amazing to see how a different set of beliefs affects behavior. It's amazing to see how if you believe that it's all up to your choices, it leads to just this lack of care. Who cares about the 
poor person. They deserve it. Who cares what I do? It's determined. I've lived a good life, they would believe. I've lived a good life. Nothing bad will happen to me. I don't have to wear a seatbelt. Oh, it gets like the rubber meets the road pretty quickly, right? I can walk through traffic. Who cares? The poor are right there, but they deserve it. It's amazing to see the determinism and how it, what it produces. Both produce horrible results. We need to put them both together. We need to believe that God is going to take it all together and bring it for good, that there's grace, and that he's going to help us with our mistakes. But we also need to believe that our mistakes matter and make a difference. Otherwise, we lose motivation, and there's no point. We need to see the angel and believe and say, Lord, thank you for this reassurance that it will all work out. And we also need to believe that as we go into the storm, we need to act. We need to be bold and courageous. Otherwise, we still might lose everybody. If you are musical, you still need to practice. If you're a healer, you still need to pray. If you are a person of intimacy with the Lord, you still need to spend time with him. Even if these things have been declared over your life in the most prophetic obvious, determined way. If you walk out of that path, you can. You have that choice. Hmm. I'm a dreamer. It's in my DNA. It's probably why I'm a little bit more prophetically oriented. I believe that the prophetic community in the body of Christ is the dreaming part. It's the dreamer. It's the spiritual dreamer. When you are spiritual, one part of Jesus' life is living in this unreality. And I don't mean that it's an unreality in the sense that it's not right or fake. It just means it's not here yet. He lives in this reality of what's going to come. And he lives his life and makes his choices based on things that haven't manifested yet at all. They're not here, but he's living according to those principles. He's living like a king, dying for his people, even though he hasn't been manifested on the earth as a king. He will be, and he lives like that, with that confidence that even though he is being executed, his father loves him. That's a dreamer. That's living in another reality. And that part of the Christian life is captured in the prophetic. And so we hold on to the dreaming and we go against the planning and we say, no plans if you want to live with the Spirit, if you want to live by the Spirit. But also, the Bible also says if you live by haste, if you live impulsively, you're going to be poor. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The Lord loves a plan. And there's that part of reality that's also true. But we need both because we need to dream. We need to live in this other world in order to know what to plan. And we need to go from dream to dream. We need to be flexible. We need to be, we need to just be okay 
with it being vague and uncertain. We need to be okay with it being unplanned. We need to know that these dreams, that these visions could be something that happens in a month or happen after we die. We have to be okay with pronouncing things, with living in the reality that it might not happen the way we think it's going to happen. And we still need to be in that. We need to kind of live in the mess of the prophetic. And we pray for the greatest clarity we can get in the prophetic, and we go after that. We go after clearer and clearer dreams. But then there comes a time when we pick a dream out of God's heart, and we pull it down as the timing happens, and we plan. We plan. And there's an excitement in that when you can pick a a dream out of God's heart for your life and actually see it manifest. To bring that into reality, we pray for that. We pray for the timing, the wisdom to know when to pick it, when to pull it, and when to manifest it, when to put our energy into it. We pray for that coming of the Spirit, but it's not just prayer. There's a time when we take our arms on our legs and we, and we manifest it. And we use prophetic not just as a knowing what's coming, but as a knowing how to make it happen. I've heard people say that if you're prophetic, you don't make it happen. You make it happen. You make it happen. Don't leave the ship. If you leave the ship, you will be lost. He didn't go into the bottom of the ship and pray that they wouldn't leave the ship. He got the prophetic word, and then he walked over, and he told them what to do and what not to do. The plan is to stay on the ship. At this time, at this date, stay on this place. And he had 90% success. (laughs) They stayed on the ship. I bet you somebody jumped off. But anyway, they stayed on the ship. There is a time when we pull it out and when we put our arms and our legs to it. Or sometimes when we see somebody else do that. When we pull it out and somebody else puts arms and legs to that prophetic vision. And there are times when we see God sovereignly do it and I don't know what to tell you. I just know that there is a place for planning. And it's powerful to plan. So don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Be flexible, but don't be guilty. Because Jesus didn't have to be flexible. The Father doesn't have to be flexible. He writes it down and he tells everybody about it. But we have to be flexible because we don't see clearly. So be flexible. That's not something we have to do because if it's not in God's heart that we have to be flexible, it's just the reality of the, of the way that we are, that we're not there yet. But if you were there, the goal is to not have to be flexible. It's the goal is to have it that every plan you make would come to fruition. We're just not there yet. But that is what we're aiming for. I'm aimed for 100%. And then we get what we get and we don't get upset. So, if I could call the worship team up, I was preaching this, and I feel like this is very prophetic for me right now. The last two sermons were very prophetic. Last week we were praying, we were pre- I was talking about Herod and birth. This week I'm talking about taking steps. I feel like this is prophetic for me. I'm believing that it's prophetic for you. I believe that there is something in your life 
I can't say it for certain. But I want you to pray, and I want you to think about your life, and I want you to pray for something that you can pluck out of the prophetic and that you can implement in your life. Maybe you've already implemented, but maybe it's time, instead of just being motivated, and it's like, God has this for me. God has this for me. I'm motivated. I read about how good it is for me. I read about how bad it is for me. If I don't do it, I know this is good, and I want to do it. Well, maybe today is the day when you take that and you give it a place, and you give it a date, and you give it a time. And we go from 30%, we go up to 90%. Because God gave us plans to bring us closer to him, to make us able to do his mission. And I want that for you. Because if you don't spend the time with him, you're not going to fulfill that dream in his heart. If you don't play the instrument, if you don't put out your hand and pray for somebody, if you don't walk it out in your life, you're not going to see it. I'm telling you, you've got to stay on the ship. Otherwise, what the angel said won't happen and you'll be lost. So plan. Lord, I pray as we go into 2020 that we would have 2020. I said it. Lord, I pray that we would have 2020 vision. But even if we don't have 2020, I pray that you would help us to use the 1520 that we already have. That we would take our best guess and you would know and give us grace and we would take our best guess and we would correct ourselves if we're wrong, but you would help us to step forth and take that vision, take that prophetic word and say, today is the day, or maybe not today, but tomorrow at three o'clock is the time when I am going to step into what you've given me. Or maybe it's, I already know, and I know that I'm supposed to be doing it, and I did it for a season, and I've stepped away, but tomorrow at three o'clock, I'm stepping back in. And I'm going to go from 30% up to 90% in your plan for my life. I believe that's the case more than not, that you already know and you just need to plan it. But for some of you, there is a risk of taking something prophetic that you're not sure about and testing it out and saying, Lord, I'm going to step into this plan. Give me favor. Give me grace or give me a 